0: Let's read. They took Jesus. That's, um, Jesus has just been arrested and a big crowd of soldiers. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another not made with hands. Yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. And gave no answer. Again the high priest asked him. Are you the Messiah? The son of the blessed one? I am. Said Jesus. And you will see the son of man. Sitting at the right hand of the mighty one. And coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. We're going to pray. We're going to ask that God would help us to understand. This isn't just, we don't just need to try and work it out ourselves. We need God to help us. So let's pray together. Let's ask that God would help us. Heavenly Father, we ask this afternoon that, you would please help us to understand what this means. Help us to understand what it shows us about Jesus. Please give us your spirits enabling in Jesus' name. Amen. This afternoon, I want us to think about the the myth of neutrality. Uh, What I mean is um, that there is a basic assumption, I think, among many people, that human, human beings are basically neutral. When a baby is born... It's born neutral. It's born like a blank page. It's not born with ready-made opinions. It's not born for and against things. It's just kind of neutral. And then as it goes through life, we form opinions and we, some things we become passionate about and other things we don't care about. And there's some things that we're for and some things that we're against. And neutrality is where we start and then we go from there. And so essentially there are three boxes. There's the for, neutral, and against. Okay? Now, you know as well as I do, if you ever have to do a questionnaire, to not have the middle box is really stressful. You know, when you're when you you're filling it in, it asks, uh, you know, what did you think of this hotel? I liked it. I hated it. Oh, I want the middle one. I can't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, that, that forces me to make a decision. I don't want that. I like neutral is safe. Neutral is nice. I don't want to be for or against. I just want to be neutral. And a so Marmite, yeah, Marmite have gone for this in a big way, right? You either love it or you hate it. The problem is, I just sort of, it's all right. Like genuinely, I could, Marmite's okay. I'm fairly neutral. I, you know, if I could never eat Marmite again in my life, I'd be all right. And if Marmite was the only thing I had to live on, I'd be okay. I don't care. And neutrality, right, is where we sort of like to be. And for many in our in our world, that's how we start with Jesus that's what that's how most people I think assume we start with Jesus. And I think if you did a survey of people today and said, Are you of London and said, Are you for Jesus? Are you against Jesus or are you sort of neutral? I've never done that survey, but my guess is—and you probably will know this from your friends—my guess is that most people would say, "Well, I'm neutral. I, I, I don't. He's sort of irrelevant. I, I, I'm not for or against him." It would be—it would be like me saying to you, "Are you for or against David Murphy?" Of course, you don't know who David Murphy is because he's a friend of mine from school. <laughs> he was a kid I grew up with, and you, you kind of get in the, David Murphy is utterly irrelevant to my life. I really hope one day he doesn't listen to this sermon (laughs) online. (laughs) Sorry. But it's, it's kind of, an it's like, why do I have to be for or against someone who's utterly irrelevant? And I think many of us, we feel like that about Jesus. He's like, well, he's just sort of irrelevant. Why would I be for or against him? Right, I don't know if you noticed as we read through this. We met a group of people who are very, very much not neutral when it comes to Jesus. They are very much firmly in the against Jesus box. In fact, four times, did you notice the word against is used? Just look down with me, it's quite striking. Um, Verse 55, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus. Uh, Verse 56, many testified falsely against him. Um, verse 57, some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. And then in verse 60, are you not going to answer, what is this testimony these men are bringing against you? These, these, this group of people we're reading today, they are not neutral. They are against him. They hate him and they want to kill him. And I think, isn't there a part of that goes, why would you hate him? Why would you hate him? Why would you hate him? Well, I want to suggest that we need to understand why they were so hostile to him if we're going to really understand. We need to understand why people would hate Jesus so much. And we're going to discover, and this might be a shock to you this afternoon, but we're going to discover the reason that they hate Jesus is not because they've misunderstood him, but because they have understood him absolutely rightly. And our neutrality when it comes to Jesus is not because we've understood him. It's because we have misunderstood him. If you understand Jesus rightly, neutrality is not an option. This afternoon, my job, my desire, my prayer is that I would remove the neutral box from your life. I want to take neutral away as an option. You are either for him or you're against him. That's what we're going to try and see. And in many ways, can I say this? And this is going to sound really wrong. But I think you'll see why. I want to say it's better to be against him than to simply be neutral. Because at least if you're against him, you've understood what he's actually saying. But we're going to work this through. So let's let's uh, get into this. And um, I've got uh, three things I want to show you. Um, first thing is that Jesus confronts humanity. This is why the people are against him. When Jesus arrived in the world, uh, Jesus did not turn up and say, hello everyone, I've come to help you. What would you like me to do for you? I went to see Aladdin the other day on the West End. It's brilliant, really, really fun. The genie pops out and says... What do you want me to do for you? And many people have a kind of view of Jesus. He went around kind of granting people's wishes and making people feel better. And I used to sing a song at school that went, Jesus' hands are kind, hands doing good to all. And it's sort of like, you sort of think, you can't hate that. You can't be against that. That's a misunderstanding of Jesus. The first recorded words of Jesus in Mark's gospel is this. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, you ready for it? The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Not, hello, what would you like me to do? Jesus came with a very clear message. The kingdom has come. That is confrontational. The word repent is an offensive word. To set up a kingdom, to bring a kingdom, is a confrontational thing. Repent means you're living wrong. You need to stop living that way. You need to turn around and you need to live this way. You see why that's confrontational? The first thing Jesus told people was not hello, how can I help you? It was, you're living wrong. You're living the wrong way. You're living for the wrong king. And you need to give up on that king and instead make me king. I mean, surely you can feel the confrontation in that. See, here's the reality. We're not born neutral. We're born living wrong. We're born with a heart that wants to live for ourselves, that wants to make ourselves king, that wants to be our own rulers, that wants to set up our own kingdom. That I was born that way. And Jesus comes and confronts that. Now, the problem is, okay, we live in an age of affirmation. We live in a culture that loves to affirm people. And to affirm people is loving, and to confront people is hateful. To tell people they're wrong is so offensive, isn't it? No one likes to be, I hate being told I'm wrong. And so, we're desperate to turn Jesus into an affirming figure who comes and tells us that we're special and we're valuable and, oh, we're lovely, you're lovely people. And we turn Jesus into a figure who just wants to affirm us. I read a thing on a Christian website the other day that said, Jesus' message is, you were born to be exceptional and win. (laughs) I don't know what you were born to win. Maybe everything. That's going to get difficult in Monopoly. You were born to <laughs> You were born to be exceptional and win. Who's not going to love that as a message? Here is my message for the world. You are born to be exceptional. Oh, I hate it, I hate it, I don't like that. No one's gonna hate that. No one's gonna hate being affirmed. Have you ever, has anyone ever come up to you and said, I just want to tell you, you are a really wonderful person, you say, How dare how dare you say that to me? You offend me. Because <laughs> you do That's just not how it works. When you're affirmed, then it's lovely. But when someone comes and confronts you, that's when it starts to get uncomfortable. That's when it starts to get difficult. And you just read through... Okay, just Mark's... Listen to this, right? Just in Mark's Gospel, and this is just a bit of it. listen, Listen to this. This is what Jesus is saying through Mark's Gospel. You are wrong. Now, look, try and feel this, okay? Feel the confidence. And some of us, you'll you'll even hate this as you hear it. And we should, because it, it jars with what we are. So listen, you are wrong. You live for the wrong king. You are sick, and you need to be healed. You are dead. And you need to be made alive. You are dirty and you need to be washed clean. You are blind and you need your eyes opened. You are captives and you need to be ransomed. You are proud and you need to be humbled. You are sheep and you desperately need a shepherd. Do You see the confrontation? Jesus does not affirm humanity. He confronts us. And his confrontation is what you discover through Mark's gospel. Now, before you go, oh, man, this sounds horrible, just hold on. Because there is something spectacular coming at the end. So wait. But we are not born neutral. And this is true in other parts of the Bible. Colossians chapter 1 says that we were enemies of God. We are opposed to him. By nature, we are his enemies, hostile to him. Jesus is confronting that. So that's the first big thing you need to see. That's why they hate him, because he's confronting them. He's telling them they're wrong. And this afternoon, if you're going to be serious about Jesus, you need to accept he's going to tell you you're wrong. Here's the second thing we see. Humanity takes its stand. So here comes Jesus into the world to confront the world, to say you're living for the wrong king. You're living as enemies of God. And humanity's response is to take its stand against him. Have a look down. Verse 53. They took Jesus, this confrontational figure, to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law, came together. Humanity takes its stand against Jesus. And I want you to notice a few things about it. Firstly, do you notice that they gather they gather together at various points through Mark's gospel, right? At various points, the, the religious leaders, you know, they've had a little group of them over here going, oh, Jesus, you're doing this wrong. And at various points, they've had kind of little battles. But now at this point, as you reach a climax, suddenly they're gathering. They're gather- His enemies are gathering together against Jesus. They gather. And that's how it that's what happens. That's how humanity takes its stand against Jesus. They gather. Now, this isn't going surprise, to surprise you. This is actually uh, an enactment of something that the Old Testament says. Keep fingering Psalm 14 and go to Psalm 2. Go to Psalm 2. And basically my recommendation for the rest of our time is that you keep a finger in Psalm 2 and a finger in Mark 14 and we'll flip. Listen to how Psalm 2 starts. Psalm 2 verse 1. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Humanity has always gathered to take its stand against God. Right the way through the Bible, you see it again and again and again. At Babel, they built a tower to take their stand against God. Babylon took its stand against God. People take their stand, they take their stand, they gather. They say, no, we don't need God, we're strong, That we're in charge, we gather. And here it is again. Humanity gathering against Jesus. And let's see what happens as they gather against him. I mean, it is a... I think the most, the most shocking thing here is that this is now the religious leaders. Who do they go to? Whose house are they in? The high priest. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on a second. The high priest. You know what the high priest's job was? His job. The very reason the high priest was given was to stand between God and the people and to tell the people and to teach the people and to make sacrifices to God. He was the one who was supposed to bring God and the people together. He was the key man. And he takes his stand. Against Jesus. And they come, and it's it is a shocking scene. Justice has gone out the window. And so let me the next thing you see is lies. As humanity takes its stand against God, they are looking for lies. They gather and they are seeking out anything that will enable them to put this man to death. There's loads of rules about how court was supposed to be done. According to God's law, which they're supposed to live by, you're not allowed to do it at night. They're doing it at night. You need witnesses who agree. This is why they're desperate to get their testimonies to agree. They don't agree. There's so many things, so many ways in which this is an unjust court. But let's look at it. They're looking for evidence. Okay, imagine, right? imagine a courtroom today where a judge said, Okay, we've got this person. They're uh, accused of murder. Um, Now, I think they deserve to go to prison. I'm sure they're guilty. Can we find some evidence? Has anyone got any evidence so that we can just get this sewn up? Has anyone got anything? Great, you guys. Oh, lovely. Excellent. It's not great, but we'll, you know, can't you do better than that? Do you not see how foolish this is? It's a court where they've already decided he's guilty. We're told that. Verse 55 is the summary. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Come on, surely someone's got something. You know, does none of you remember when he was a kid? Did none of you? Did he not nick any of your rulers in school? Did he not do anything? Did this man not do anything wrong? Can't we find anything? This is ridiculous. And they're looking for lies. And humanity will seek out lies. We will believe anything. Even stuff that doesn't make sense. If it means we can ditch Jesus. Because by nature we are against him. Taking a stand against him. There's been a lot of stuff about fake news at the moment not a new thing people making up stories about others in power is not a new thing jesus faced it they're just making it up it was right you know we'll make up something and then they do this thing about the temple oh perhaps we can get him on the temple because that was an important thing perhaps we perhaps he did something wrong there and so they just make it up We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with human hands in three days, build another not made with hands. He never said that. He did say the temple would be destroyed. But he never said he was going to destroy it. And yet here it is, just making up these lies. They throw mud at Jesus, but it just won't stick. Yet people keep throwing mud. And in our culture today, in our world today, So many lies, so much utter rubbish is spoken about Jesus. So much utter rubbish is is clung on to to say, let's just dump, let's just get rid of him. And it's not even true. And what I want you to see is that as they tell their lies, it becomes increasingly desperate. Don't you get that hint? There's an increasing desperation as this council take their stand against Jesus. They like, they come up with these lies and then they just get increasingly desperate. Verse 60, look at the high priest. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that he's bringing against you? Come on! They're prodding him, trying to get him to just say something, Jesus. It's so annoying. Can you imagine how frustrated they must have been? And look at Jesus, verse 61. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. That is magnificent, isn't it? I'm not going to answer your lies. I'm not going to engage with your pathetic attempts to get rid of me. Can I say there is a time, okay, and um, I've had this where where people are kind of just chucking stuff at you, saying, oh, Jesus is so stupid. He's so rubbish. You you know, What about this? And there's a time just as I'm not even going to answer you. I'm not going to engage. Jesus doesn't answer. He stands. Can you th- imagine the self-control. Imagine you were stood listening to someone hurling lies about you. That is amazing self-control of Jesus. And humanity makes its desperate attempt to stand. Come back to, uh, to, act, to Psalm some. psalm 2 as they take their stand they say let us break their chains and throw off their shackles let's do something to get rid of this god who chains us up but they can't and verse 4 says the one enthroned in heaven laughs the lord scoffs at them he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying i have installed my king on zion my holy mountain they cannot shake him off. So as humanity takes his stand, there's one final thing I want you to see. And that is, what then happens is that Jesus takes his stand. So come back to Mark 14, listen to this. At this point, the high priest, they, you know, they just cannot find anything. Jesus has done nothing wrong. That's pretty striking. My guess is if, you, if people wanted to find evidence to accuse me, there'd be quite a lot of people queuing up, going, Yeah, I got something. <laughs> no one. No, no one's got anything. So again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the son of the Blessed One? What a question. Do you understand understand how significant that question is? Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Are you the promised King? Are you the one who's come from God? Are you the one who is God, the Son of God, come to earth to be the King? Jesus, is that you? Imagine the pause. And then Jesus says two words that would have blown their world apart. Because Jesus at this point makes his stand. And Jesus Can't you imagine him lifting up his head and saying, I am I mean those are those are extraordinary words. Extraordinary if you know That the name of God, which the Jews hold in such high esteem, the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush back in Exodus 3, when God says, what is your name? God says, my name is I am. And now Jesus stands before this council and they say to him, are you the son of the blessed one? And he says, I am. And in case they're not clear, he spells it out for them. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is, this is a claim to all of God's authority. Jesus says, all of it is in me. All of God's authority is located in me. Right, Clouds. Do you know how else you get clouds in the Bible? Some of you do. If you come to, right, if you come to Globe Focus on a Wednesday night, although not this Wednesday because it's Globe Central, but at Globe Focus, and sorry if you're visitors, it's great to have you here, um, but at Globe Focus, we've been looking at God's presence coming to fill the temple. And what is God's presence always represented by? A cloud, right? So God's presence comes to fill the temple in a cloud. Here is Jesus who's riding the clouds. Don't you see Jesus who who is the very presence of God? This title, the Son of Man, is a title that's loaded. We haven't got time to do all this. But in, 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 in Daniel 7, it comes in Daniel 7, you can read that later. But if you just stick in Psalm 2, let's just stick in Psalm 2. Don't you see, flick back to Psalm 2, okay? Uh, back in Psalm 2. Here is, what God says about, here is what God says about the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One. Verse 6, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and you will dash them to pieces like pottery. Jesus says, that's me. I have all authority, God's authority. And even though you seek to kill me, you will see me in all glory, with all authority. That's quite a bold claim. And Jesus takes his stand, and he knows that by saying this, he signs his death warrant. He will die because he says this. Jesus chooses to die by declaring, I am. Now this, the high priest tears his clothes. Um, he's, He's like, why do we need any more witnesses? He asked, you've heard the blasphemy, what do you think? I mean, what a stupid question, Right? What do you think? He's just said. Okay, you've got to get right. You've got to get this. Jesus has just said, "I am. I'm the one who has God's authority. Who will come with the clouds of heaven. Who will have all power and authority. And all the world will see the power of Jesus." And the, and then the, the uh, high priest looks around at all these little crowd and says, "Nah. Eh, what do we think? What do we think? Who cares what they think?" Who cares what they think? Who do they think they are to sit and pass judgment on Jesus? To give their verdict on Jesus? And their response is, they all condemned him as worthy of death. Jesus makes his stand and they pass judgment and say, you're worthy of death. They say, I'm against you as Jesus makes it absolutely clear. So let me make this absolutely clear. Jesus is God. He is the king. Whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, whatever you think doesn't matter, Jesus is king. And he has all power and all authority. And everyone one day will see his power and authority. I can't make it clearer than that. You are either for him or against him. And then the most extraordinary thing happens. And this is, if you fall asleep, this is the spectacular bit. Because I think verse 65 is mind-blowing. Hold in mind, okay? Seriously, if you fall asleep, this is so good. You need to wake up, right? Hold in mind that Jesus has just said he's the one who has all of God's authority. He's riding the clouds. He's, he has, This says, that's my future. Riding the clouds of heaven the one who will see all his glory. They say, ah, oh, we think you're worthy of death. His response, seriously, what would you expect verse, 30, verse 65 to be? How dare you? you think, wouldn't you expect Jesus at this point just to say, you arrogant humanity, bang! But do you not see in verse 65, there is a bang, Right? Punches are thrown. But Jesus takes it. They began to spit at Jesus. The one who has all sovereign authority has the saliva of men dripping down his face. Can you think of anything more shameful? They blindfold him. And then they're just beating him. They're beating him. Why? This is what makes him so wonderful. And this is why if up to this point you think, oh, this sounds a bit harsh about Jesus, this is what makes him wonderful. This Jesus who has all authority chose to lay down that authority to go to a cross and to die And the reason he did that was because the only way he could save you was by dying. Jesus went to a cross. For people, for a world that had took its stand against him, he went to a cross and died. For a world that had taken its stand against him, that had hated him, he went to a cross and died. And Jesus at the cross, as Jesus suffers, and even as the punches land on Jesus, the shame of Jesus, as Jesus takes his stand in that moment, he chooses to suffer and die rather than to judge. Jesus came to save you, not to judge you. One day he will judge you, but not yet. Today, he says, I came to save you. So if we go back to Psalm 2 for the last time, last time, flip back to Psalm 2 for the very last time. Because here's where I want to apply it. I'm just going to read verses 10 to 12. See if you can see how this is applied. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the, the earth serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment, Blessed are all who take refuge in him will you come this afternoon and bow to the knee and kiss this king, will you kiss him not, not a romantic kiss, a kiss of worship. Kneeling before him saying, Jesus, you're my king. I'm for you. That's what I'm so excited about that today's a baptism. You know what baptism is? It's Tom saying, Jesus, I'm for you. I was against you, but you died to save me. I'm for you, Jesus, I'm for you. And I, my hope this afternoon is that we'd be shaken out of our neutrality. And perhaps some of us are sitting here this afternoon, and maybe you know, we know the answers, we say the right things, we, we kind of know stuff. And Jesus this afternoon is saying, stop sitting on the fence, stop pretending you can be neutral. If you're not for me, you're against me. But I came so that you could be for me, with me. This afternoon, will you bow the knee and kiss the sun? Will you fall in worship and say, Jesus, you're my king? Let's pray together and worship him. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that there is a king, a king of such magnificent beauty, a king of truth, a king who took his stand, a king who was willing to speak the truth, a king who was willing to suffer and die, a king who was willing to be spat upon and beaten in order that he might save us. And Father, we're sorry. We're sorry for all the times we've taken our stand against you. We're sorry for all the times and we have even tried to be neutral about you. We ask this afternoon that we would be wise, that we would be warned, that we would kiss this son in worship, that we would take refuge in him. We pray that we would trust this king. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to... um